This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for those who have kind of chimed in. We talked over the last few weeks on the series and encouragement on uh, our, our last series, and some of you gave me some feedback, and it was great, but, uh, uh, and I'll utilize that for, for some future things, but I, fe- I felt uh, that I should talk in these next few weeks a little bit about serving and, and making a difference in our life, serving. And you can see that all fine back there. And so this is kind of first week in a, in a mini-series. And let me just start off by, by just thanking you as a church body. And I mean this heartfelt. And those of you that, uh, that jump up and you help serve, and whether it's a, uh, a wedding, there's someone needs help, or if there's a funeral, there's food, uh, uh, the day in, the day out of the church, you come over and you help serve uh, the door greeters, uh, those involved with guest services, all, all of the ministry take place, the sound, the worship people, uh, those who do announcements, I just want to thank you. We have a, a church of people that is continually expanding and growing, and more and more are jumping on board. And so, so <clears throat> this series is not a castigation or something negative. It's, it's actually, I wanted to talk to you this morning about the blessings of serving. The blessings, but I don't think I'm going to get into that. I kind of had to set the stage. I actually changed my PowerPoint and I shrunk it down shorter. <laughs> Amen. I actually shrunk it down because I want to read something to you that I feel is important that just came out yesterday. I thought, hmm, I'm talking about this and, and, and I just kind of want to interject it. So Lord willing, we'll talk about the blessings we receive by serving others, but I kind of have this... To me, I don't kind of a big idea, but it was just this thought. And, and as, we, as we move forward to the things of God, I want to just kind of throw this out to you. So this is the first week in our series, Making a Difference, and, and it's this statement here. A good measure of our spiritual health is our depth of concern for other people. That's kind of a selah, a pause and think about that. Do you actually exhibit a concern for other people? I mean, I'm not talking about someone opens the door for you. Hey, that's nice. Thank you. And oh, okay, appreciate it. And uh, really being concerned for when I say the word our neighbor. Now, how many of you know we live in a day and age that where <clears throat> neighborhoods were really important back in the day? You, do you know what I mean by that? Some of you, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but I grew up in a neighborhood that after the baby boomers, you know, they came back uh, from the war, the Vietnam, and then they built these communities and they made these little box houses and thousands popped up. And I was part of that in our family. And so we would just kind of walk down after school, uh, whose house are we going to this day? And we would just walk and we're kind of like little rascals. And you were always at somebody's house. Now we're just in front of a screen. And we can all be in the room and nobody's talking to each other. Can I get an amen? But, you know, and this is the millennial way of, hey, hanging out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just different. It's just different. I mean, we, we just, we didn't have that back then. So we, we had to be engaged with other people. Okay, we had to. 
And so, so I, I think about that and think, think about in, in, in the light of a, a caring concern for other people. If there was a neighbor, uh, one time there was a, a neighbor's kid that, that uh, he climbed a tree and the parents told him not to. And he was killed. He fell out of the tree. It was, just affected the whole community and they came over and they went to the house and how could we help out? They mowed and just, just you know, it isn't that we don't live in a day that that doesn't happen, but it's just different. How many of you know that if I just said, hey, go to your neighbor's door, knock on the door, and hand them something? You got to be kidding. You don't, you don't venture into your neighbor unless you really know them. It's a strange thing. If someone comes knocking on your door or rings the doorbell, who is it? Why are they there? Who, go see who it is. You know, you send one of the kids out or something. It's just different. It's just different. And, and, and so we live our lives. It seems like, it seems like of all the, the gadgets we have, we're more isolated and God doesn't want us to be that as a people. Can I say, get an amen here? Say that, amen? And so, so a good measure of our spiritual health is our depth of concern for other people. And when I mean by other people, not all your friends, I mean strangers. Amen. People we don't know. Hey, how are you? You know, what's your name? And introduce yourself and reach out. How many of you know if you've got Christ, you've got something great to give? You have something powerful to give. Are you with me? And so this quote came out of this article that uh, I just read it yesterday. And it's by a pastor. And he said this, Jesus felt the church was worth dying for. It should be our mission as Christians to value living for it. I want to, because I shrunk my message down, read to you this article, just a couple pages here, but I, I, I just think it's very important uh, uh, that we hear. Uh, I believe this is a, a real accurate temperature, sadly to say, for many, many churches in America, or the church in general. So as a Fox News article came out yesterday by Pastor Chris Sonksen, he's from California and pastors numerous uh, satellite churches there, and he says this, I'm a pastor and I want you to quit church. Now when I see articles like that, the first thing I do is like, oh, here's someone else offended or upset about the local church, or you know, there's another, someone's got an issue, somehow they were hurt, and if they could just see, and, and I don't really even bother reading that stuff. It's just, it's just like, it's so, you know, as a pastor, it becomes hurtful, but it's like, no, I'm gonna read this article because it's gotta be something deeper. And I was right. He goes on to say, he says, at a time when church attendance is shrinking in America, I, as a pastor, in encourage am encouraging people to quit church. Why? The answer is birthed out of conversations and research I've been a part of over the last several years. Regularly, I train and meet with pastors and church leaders from all over the country through my leadership platform. The conversations carry a common theme. A lot of people who attend church are passive towards serving, giving, and community outreach. He goes on to say, in most churches, 80% of the work is carried out, carried out by 20% or less of the people. That's not true here. That's why I gave a shout out for you all. Amen. <clears throat> but he says, we become a church of spectators, and the pastoral staff is getting burned out. According to my own personal research, the problems are even bigger than the 80-20 principle. Only 39% of active believers consider the Bible as the literal word of God. 39%. Less than 20% of professing believers follow the biblical principle of giving. Less than 20%. Only 5% have shared their faith with a non-believer. More than half, more than half of all church members attend church once a month or less. 
Wow. He goes on to say, something has to change. Casual attendance and the belief that others will serve, give, and share the gospel are tearing down churches across our country brick by brick. As believers, it's time that we either, either are all in or we get all out. And he said, the solution is simple. Just quit. And I thought, this is really strange. He goes, that's right, quit. He said, if we quit the casual way we approach God's principles, can you imagine what would happen in our personal walks of faith in our community of believers? What if every believer exercised generosity? Somebody say amen. What if every Christian fought for loyalty in the local church? What if everyone served in their God-given purpose? What would happen if we stopped simply believing and started belonging? Wow. Almost done. If we would only quit the way we approach our relationship to Christ in our local church, the blessing, the reward, the joy, the fulfillment, the purpose, and the increase would radically transform our lives in the world. Together, we can revolutionize the church. But the only way we can do this is if we quit. My conversations, the pastor goes on to say, over the past several years revealed the spiritual habits necessary for personal and church growth and reveal the why behind disengagement in the church. And he goes on to say, the truth is, if we don't feel passionate about something, we don't do it. That's a Selah moment right there. If we don't feel passionate, we're not going to do it. If we don't like something that happens in the church, we find another one. If the spiritual practices don't fit our lifestyle, then we don't do them. This mindset permeates our I want it now and I want it my way culture and it's only enforced through social media, website choices, TV options, and countless other platforms that have risen in prominence in our lives. This is not the way God intended the church to live. Can I get an amen? The local church isn't a building. It's a body of believers fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. When these believers approach their individual involvement and commitment in a casual manner, it weakens the entire body of Christ in the impact we are called to have. As a result, we lose and so does the local church. God wants us to win to thrive, to fulfill our potential in him. We will not experience the abundance he desires for us until we quit our current approach and we are all in. Somebody say amen. Once you go all in, all in on generosity, all in on serving, outreach, discipleship, and the other biblical behaviors laid out in his word, then look out. Because God will reign on your life with his blessings like you have never experienced before. And then he ends with this quote. Jesus felt the church was worth dying for. It should be our mission as Christians to value living for it. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> so, are you saying, Pastor, you want me to quit church? Well, if you're not all in, you're not going to come anyways. <laughs> amen? You're not going to serve. You're not. And so, and, 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 you know, yes, I'm a pastor, but I see, I'm not a pastor because it's just, I think this is just an exciting, and I just kind of thought one day, you know, that'd be an exciting vocation, you know, stand up in front of people that you're frightened out of your mind to speak in front of people, and, you know, all of this kind of, this thought was great. It's a calling. It's a passion. I believe in what I'm doing. Okay, it's just not something that, uh, a hireling. I, I, I love the church, the local church, and seeing people growing in their faith and being developed. So, how many want your life to matter? Okay, half, about five or six. <clears throat> 
It's the reason we do the things we do. Isn't that right? We want our lives to matter. And so, and so the last thing I want to is wind up at the end of my life and having it feel it doesn't matter. I expended my whole life. There's something greater than myself, and I didn't pursue that. So why? We chase promotions. We chase leadership positions because we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. We encourage our kids to go to college, which is a good thing, to get a good job, amen, to make, make lots of money in hopes that they too will also make a difference. Now, right? I mean, no one wants your kid to like turn out, hey, grow up and be a bum. No, uh, we want them to make a difference. You want to have an impact. And so we encourage them. How many know there's nothing wrong with wealth or influence? But watch this, watch this. <clears throat> Those things alone won't change the world. Did you hear that? Wealth, you know, it's good, it's important, but alone it will not change the world. And that is not why you are what you were made for. Let me just interject here. <clears throat> um, how many of you know that we are to be excellent in what we do in the natural, in our, in our job, in our vocation? Isn't that right? And I just look at that, my wife, I say, you know, honey, if we had a business, we would be millionaires in that business. Because we see things and try to do things that are excellent. We, we work together as a team. And I believe that. I believe that. And, and, but how many of you know that you see that day and day, you go to a restaurant, you go to a place, and you're just like, there's no excellence here. Come on, what are you going to do? Well, now in day and age, you start Googling. Don't, you know, you make a comment on that. Don't eat at that place. Or the waitress was really, you know, it's just, and those things have impact on businesses. And so God's called us to be a people that are excellent. Excellent. That's not a natural carnal. That's a spiritual thing. How many know Jesus was excellent in all his ways? He was excellent. And so we want to make a difference. And, and uh, you, know, you know, the machinist needs to do his job in an excellent way. We, we need that. We all need that. That has a value. Uh, the doctor needs to do his job in an excellent way. Can I get an amen? And, and so the trash collector needs to do his job in an excellent way. Right, you know, let me give you an example. Of when I was, I think it was, I was about 13 years old, I worked in the dry cleaning industry. And of course, you know, when you're a young kid and... <clears throat> The way dad paid us was, here, go get lunch. We were paid by lunch, you know, and so we, we worked all day just for lunch. And it, it was great because you could, you know, order McDonald's or whatever it was. And he just, yeah, go in there. And, and, but it was really hot in the summer. Sometimes we get up to 120 degrees with the boiler there and, and, and all the steam presses. And, and <clears throat> so I was complaining. And, and so I went out back, and it was the time of the week where the, the dump truck would come and the, the, the crew would come in and dump all the nasty stuff. There was a, like a, a Vietnamese restaurant next, and the food would just pack and it would get full of maggots. It would stink. And I was just like, what a job. And so while I was complaining at 13 years old, I went out there and I sat on one of the steps and trying to cool down. And so here comes this kid. He jumps off the, the dump truck, and he's got w one leg. It's missing. But he just doesn't have like a prosthesis. He has like an old, uh, like a, it's just a cap with a stick. It's like, like a, a Captain Hook or something. It's like, and here's the thing. He was running with that stick to grab the trash, and then running to throw it in. And it just, at 13 years old, I'd never forget that. It just impacted my life. And he was taking the trash, and a bag ripped. So he came back down, he's picking it up, and he threw it in. He just did it with excellence. How many know we need everyone to do their job with excellence? That guy with one leg has affected me today, watching him, what he did with excellence. 
Can I get an amen here? <clears throat> Everyone doing their part. You know, my uncles uh, owned a gas station. It was the first gas station in Pine Plains, New York. Grandpa, who was fully Italian, uh, he came from Italy at 15 years old and uh, moved to uh, the Bronx in New York and, and then uh, was married and then they moved to upstate and he started, they built their home and he said, well, I'm going to build a gas station. So he built the gas station. He was a stone cutter. He was a mason. And so he, they had, he had eight kids, and he made them all work. And they built the first Exxon, which was an Esso back then. And they built the gas station. And those were the days when you pull up at the gas station because he had all the kids. You know, he made them get out there. And as soon as you pull up, someone runs out and they do the windshield. Someone lifts the hood, checks up. Do you remember those days? They're check testing the tire and they're all in a uniform, you know? Of course, he had all these kids. You know, they had to do it. But it just would shock me if I saw that today. It would just shock me, you know? Anyhow, but... Um, <clears throat> So then they were kind of on-the-job training mechanics. And what that means is they didn't have any formal education. The car was broken. They went, well, let's get to it. And they would pull it apart, try to figure it out. How many of them made a lot of mistakes? I have carried that tradition a little bit in the family in my own life. I've shared, <laughs> you know, it's like, but I've learned a lot what not to do. And uh, so there was a day, this lady, we're talking about, I stay on my illustration about, you know, not doing a job with excellence. There's a lady come in, she goes, I, I hear a clicking noise every time I turn left. And they go, okay. And so they had this big, big Cadillac car. So she, they would drive and they would hear it too. It'd be, and so knowing the uncles, which I think I even inherited too, to my de demise, uh, they had to figure out what that was. So they took all the tires off. And then they shook the vehicle, and then and they couldn't find it. They took the door panels off and drove. Still couldn't. Rear quarter panels. They, they started taking everything apart. They couldn't find out what was going on, but there was something making this noise. And so finally they said, pull the frame down. So they pulled the frame down, and then it's one of those type of Y-frames, and then they moved the frame, and they heard the noise of the frame. They cut the frame. Inside the frame was a Coke bottle. Somebody didn't do their job, okay? On the assembly line, had a drink, thought, this will be fun. Shoved the, literally shoved the Coke bottle in the frame, pressed on and went in the car. Now, we laugh at that, but the truth of the matter is the time, the energy, the effort, the money wasted because somebody didn't do their job. Somebody didn't serve in their right capacity. Somebody, you know, yeah, it was a kind of a crude joke, but truth of the matter was, it affected, it affected. And, and, and how many know that all vocations matter? Amen? All vocations matter, and they matter. And so God is looking for passionate people that, that and the point of me sharing that is, he's looking for passionate people that love his mission, that love his job on earth. How many know that Jesus cares about people? He is into the people business. The church is into the people business. What do you mean by that? I don't even call it business. A, a ministry, it's, it's people matter. Because here's the thing. Eternity is a long time. It's a very long time. You can't even put a time on it. And, and God desires that all men and women would be saved. Everyone. He doesn't just say, okay, I pick you. You I don't really necessarily like, or you I don't like. I like you, and, and you, you, you're really nice. That's not how, and some people, some ministers believe that. They're selected. I don't believe that. I believe that God desires that all men and women come. 
everyone. He loves every single person. And every person matters. I remember I was with, uh, uh, we were in Sri Lanka. Is Caleb here? Did I see Caleb or not? So Caleb and I, I think it was Caleb, we, we were needed to exchange money. Were you with me in Sri Lanka when we did that? So, okay, don't tell your mom about this. And, uh, she's not here, but so we had to exchange U.S. dollars into uh, the Sri Lankan uh, currency. And, uh, uh, you know, if you go to the bank, you get a lot less. But they say if you go on the street, you get a better rate. So, you know, I had a few hundred dollars. I said, well, Caleb, come with me. And we're walking the street, and they're always kind of pulling you by exchange, exchange. And so some guy pulls him, and he just was, boy, he just was, he just was disheveled. I mean, he was just ragged. It's like he just rolled out of the gutter. And I don't think he's had a shower. I mean, it just was, it was just heartrending. And he goes, come, come, come. And so he brings me and Caleb to this place to exchange money. And so while I'm walking there, I'm thinking of Caleb, protecting Caleb, but I'm thinking, where is this guy bringing me? And we start walking down this alley, and I went, I don't know if I want to, and we take a left, take a right, and we go into this little room, and there's this kind of heavy set, you know, uh, guy, he's there uh, with a cigar, I don't know, whatever, and he's like holding the water, he goes, all right, what do you want? And so he works for him, and then he would give him a tip if he would bring people off the street to exchange money. And so he exchanged the money, and he just was kind of a he just was real indifferent. And I said, well, you need to take care of this guy. He brought me in here. And he goes, you pay him. Just didn't even care for him. So I, so I walked out with them and Caleb by. We just kind of talked with him a little bit. And I, I gave him some, some money. And I just, and he goes, you know, I'm just poor. I don't matter. And I'll tell you what. I said, you do matter. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He died for you. And I shared the gospel with them. We just prayed for him. And just, just briefly there, and we kind of moved on. But it's just, that's how people think. They think that they don't matter unless they have something important. Everybody matters to God. Amen? And that's why we have the church, the local church. <clears throat> and so where did the church come from? How did it start? Let me just briefly <clears throat> touch on this, and we'll conclude here, because I'm almost finished, I promise. <clears throat> Why is it important? The church is actually a holy mystery because of our origin in the Holy Trinity and her mission to be the conduit of salvation. So the local church, the ecclesia, the called-out people, are <clears throat> the conduit of salvation. And this goes on to say that the sign and instrument of God's plan to unite all under Christ is the local church, the local church. The Trinity brought the church into being. The Father called the church into existence. The Son established the church. The Holy Spirit filled the church with power and wisdom at Pentecost. One Bible commentator says this about the church. The Trinity, <clears throat> the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit abides with the church always. Do you know that you showing up here this morning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are here? They're here. Yeah, God is omnipresent, but he's here in a different capacity. This is his church, which is many other churches. He's there. The Trinity abides with the church always, creatively and providentially. The church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, brings Christ's salvation to the world. The church is the instrument of God's universal call to holiness. He goes on to say, at the same time, the church is made up of sinful people. Yet, despite the personal sinfulness of its members, at times, the church remains holy. This is a holy place. You know, when we leave here, there are ceremonies that you do in churches, and you, you uh, de-sanctify that building. 
And that's what we do. Yeah, <clears throat> okay, this was a place for 12 years for us or whatever. So we desanctify it and we go to our new building and it's sanctified. God moves with that. And this, you could have race cars or build whatever in here. I don't know, whatever you want to do. And <clears throat> you think, well, that was the church. No, it, the presence of God goes and, and he inhabits. I really believe that he inhabits places. The church <clears throat> is the God's universal call to holiness. The church remains holy by the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who permeates her. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> Actually, I'll go so far as to say this, and I believe this, that the church <clears throat> is the center of God's purposes here on earth. You say, well, show me that in the Bible. I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.10 from the Amplified. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through verses 7 to 11, but I'll just pull this up for you here. <clears throat> Paul talks about how he was a minister of Christ, and he was made a minister, and, and the grace which is given to him to graciously preach the gospel and to proclaim the truth. And then in verse 10, he says this, so now, through the church, somebody shout, through the church. Yes. Say it again. Say, through the church. Yes. <clears throat> the multifaceted wisdom of God in all its countless aspects, might now be made known, revealing the mystery, it's a mystery, to the angelic rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you know that God's purpose here on earth for us is more than just on earth? There's something he wants to show through your, our lives of other ancients of old that he has created that he's saying, look what I'm doing down there. This is the center. It's the center. I really feel the center of the universe of what God is doing here on earth. And he's doing it through the church. Somebody say amen. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, the Bible says. But he does that through the church to make it plain. It is through his church. Who is the church? You and I. We are the church. And God says he will reveal his purposes to, to those angelic rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So Ephesians 4 says this, uh, we were all made to build God's church. All of us, not just some of us. Men, hear me, you are made to build God's church, not just women. Men, too, are made to build God's church. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? He gave apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to his church, their purpose, this is the purpose of ministry, their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Watch this, verse 12. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve. Somebody shout serve. And to build up the body of Christ. That is your purpose. That is my purpose as a pastor to get people involved in a way with their serve and they're discovering their gifts and they know God, what God has called them to. And we have assessments, we have things here to help you in that, especially as a, if you're a new believer or you know you just come and you moved into the area and joined the church. You're like, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what my gifts are. We have tools and things to help you. But how many know you have to make the effort? Amen. Amen? You have to make the effort. One translation says this, this way. So his people would learn to serve. It's not something that comes easy. Isn't that right? Serving isn't something that comes easy. I mean, for some people, it's just like they just have it, bubbles out, and they have that hospitality. But they would learn to serve, and his body would grow strong. Another translation says, in order to fully equip his people for the work of serving, for the building up of Christ's body. Here's the thing. Serving is not a, is not a hateful term. 
You find your life when you give to others. What you're really looking for is not out there per se. (laughs) It's not. What you're really looking for in the social media, that's not where it's at. Where it's at is serving and helping and pouring your life into others. Stand with me if you would, please. Scripture tells us about pastors and tools that they have to equip God's people for ministry. And quickly, four tools that we have at our disposal that's that's here to help believers be equipped. Prayer. Prayer is a tool. It doesn't mean just the pastor and his wife or a select few are the only ones to pray. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's for all of us. Prayer. Prayer. And here's the thing, not only, you know, pray on occasion, but teach others to pray. And, 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 and men, I remember Mac Hammond, he pastors the church in uh, Maple Grove, large church, and kind of a word of faith church. And he, his wife was sharing with him about, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? Well, God's told me to talk, you know, you know I'm called to teach and preach. I'm not called to pray. And God spoke to him, and I remember him sharing this, saying that how God convicted him, and they said, no, you're to pray also. Even though you may not feel it. It's like, well, I'm really not the intercessor or whatever. And he's like, God's really convicted him in that. He said, I'm called to be a man of prayer. Men, we are to pray. Can I get an amen? The word of God, the preaching and teaching, the hearing, the reading of it. How many know that we need a daily dose of the word? Now, I know... You know, there's times and seasons and, and, you know, things slip and whatever. And I don't make that as a condemnation thing. And I, pre- or I really pray that you don't, it doesn't come across. I'm saying this as, as golden nuggets. I'm saying that, how many know when you read the word, most of the time, unless you think you're even in numbers, so-and-so, beget, so-and-so, beget, so. What am I getting out of this? God will still bless you because you're reading his word. He will still bless you because you're filling yourself with his word. How many with me say Amen. So the word of God and the reading of the word of God, the hearing of the word of God, the preaching, the teaching of the word of God, intentional training is discipleship. You know, there are mentors that are in here. And some of you wonder, what is my call? And you're concerned about your future. God has placed a mentorship gift within you. This generation, this younger generation, they're looking for people that will invest in their life. Not like the generation before that said, I just want to do it, want to do it on my own. They're really looking for, how did you survive? How did you stay married for 30 years? Amen? How, how, did, you, how did you make it? I mean, how did you make it through your first fight? So, I mean, you know, I had one guy told me, like, we never fight. I'm like, you're a Martian. You're from a U- You're not a human. You came by a UFO. I mean, you're an alien. Every couple fights. How did you work through it? How did you do it? I remember one time, and this is, I think it's funny now, but Rhonda doesn't, but <laughs> we were fighting about something on the way to church. Not here, when I served at another place, just so I let you know. <clears throat> I got so mad, I was out near Home City, I stopped the car and I took off running through a cornfield. <laughs> it's the truth. So she chased me in the car. She kept following me, you know. She wouldn't let me go, and I love her for that. Amen? <clears throat> Intentional training. We all need mentors. Amen? Connecting with other members of the body of Christ. That's what life groups are for. That's why they're so important that you're connected, that people know you. Some of the most fearful things is walking in a crowd of people and nobody knows you. Now, there's a few that can kind of handle it, the high cholerics. You know, what's going on here? 
chicken out, you know, I don't know. But the majority of people, it's very intimidating. It's very intimidating. They want someone to go, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Immediately you feel safe. Immediately you feel safe. So that's how we grow. In conclusion, just read a couple quotes here. I'm going to put one up and then we'll pray. The true church can never fail for it is based upon a rock. T.S. Eliot. Prayer is a strong wall and fortress for the church. It is a goodly, Christian, a goodly Christian weapon. Martin Luther said that. Dwight L. Moody said, Church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Dwight Moody said that. C.S. Lewis, the perfect church service would be one where we were almost unaware of it. Our attention would have been on God. Wow. John Calvin said this, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. John Calvin. And I love this. Can I end it with this by Bill Hybels? He made this statement. I'll just read it. He said, nothing on earth, nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. <clears throat> no other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Every head bowed, please. Jesus, you are the church. You are the head of the church. We are your body. Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you for this church, this local body. Lord, I pray as, as passionate in my heart, the love for your local church, Lord, that somehow, supernaturally, that would be transferred, that, they, that your people would see the importance of your body, your church here today. That we would live our lives differently. You valued the church so much, Jesus, you suffered and died on the cross for it. That's how much you valued it. Help us to value what you died for. You're here this morning. You don't know the Lord. You say, well, I, I know of God, and let me just ask you this question. God forbid if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? Well, I hope I would, Pastor. Hope's good, but it's not enough. Scripture says, these things are written in the word of God that you may know. So how can you really know? How does one know? <clears throat> it's through the word of God. It's through the preaching of the cross, the truth. We can know. We can know. <clears throat> what does the scripture say we do? We receive Christ in our life. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we shall be saved. As we confess, we say and we declare, Jesus, you are Lord. I may not understand it all. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to surrender my life here this morning. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to trust you're going to come in, save me, and you're going to lead me and be Lord of my life. If that's you here this morning, if you've never done that, I'd like us to pray corporately. Pray with me if you, if, if you would. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Fill me with your spirit. Save me. Become real to me, God. Show me what I am to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's word. 
My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.